we get back into the OT. As we looked at a couple weeks ago in 1 Samuel chapter 7, um, we know that Samuel had uh, come back on the scene in chapter 7 after being gone for a while. Um, the last time we had heard about him was in chapter 4, and there's that time lapse from when he was about 12 to into his 30s somewhere as he comes back on the scene, and now he is a leader uh, for the nation of Israel, and in chapter 7, uh, um, like I said, he is more than likely in his 30s, and he is now considered a prophet for the nation of Israel as well, and he's also fulfilling the role as a priest, and so he's leading the nation as a prophet, and he's guiding the nation as a priest. The last few verses of chapter 7 lets us know that Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And I was trying to find out how many, how long he lived. And some say he was into his 80s, maybe even 90s, um, all the days of his life. But we know that as a prophet and as a priest, he was making a circuit in four different places, one being his hometown of Ramah, and then he'd go over to Bethel, and then to Mitzpah, and then he'd go over to Gilgal, which was a little closer over to Jericho. So he'd make like a little loop, head on over this way, and then back to Ramah, and then make that circuit year after year. And so we're in uh, chapter 8 of First Samuel in verse 1, and it starts off by saying... Now it came to pass, when Samuel was old, that he uh, made his sons judges over Israel. The name of the firstborn was Joel, and, this, and the name of the second was Abijah. They were judges in Beth, Beersheba, but his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonor, dishonest gain, taking, take, took bribes and per, perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a God to judge us like all the nations. We, we, we come across the phrase, and it came to pass, or it came to pass several times in the scriptures, throughout the word of God. And the time varies when, when we hear that phrase of how long it was. Sometimes it was just a matter of weeks or years. But in this case here, it is more than likely that time has passed about 25 to 30 years at the end of chapter from the end of chapter 7 to the beginning of chapter 8 somewhere around 20 25 30 years has lapsed and so it came to pass when Samuel was old because again in chapter 7 we look at him and he's somewhere in his 30s so now he's somewhere probably more than likely in his 60s and so he's old. I mean, he just got old. If he 
because people get old. And it's okay that, you know, they kind of mention that he's old because he ends up saying in, in chapter 12, verse 2, that he was old and gray-headed. And so he just got old. <laughs> and it's interesting because, again, here's a man who, who we've just kind of gotten to know a little bit in for Samuel. We see him get born, but now he's already like old. And people, that, that happens, doesn't it? In the process of time, and it comes to pass that all of a sudden you look in the mirror and you're going, who is that old guy there? <laughs> but he got old. Now, because time has passed and things have moved rather quickly, we find out that Samuel had two sons. And it is safe to say, even though we don't, we haven't read about it. It's safe to say that he had gotten married. And, 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 and he may have had other children. We don't quite know. But we do know that he has two sons. And he introduces himself or introduces his sons. The first being Joel and the other Abijah. And these two boys, in one sense, had, father, had followed their father's footsteps. But then again, had they really... Because when I was reading this and looking at this, as he says that he is old, that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now, even though they were down in Beersheba, Beersheba would be the southernmost part of Israel before you get to no man's land. The border is still quite a ways down, but, but after Beersheba, is just desert. It's just nothingness, pure desert. And I don't know if he had sent them down there by design or not, or they needed some judges down there. But when it says that, they, that, that he had made them into judges, I'm thinking, hmm, is that what God wanted for these guys? Or did Samuel, because they were his sons, make them to be judges and God was not calling them to be judges? But they were part of his family, so shouldn't they, shouldn't they follow in their father's footsteps? But we are told that they, his sons, did not walk in his ways. And it's almost like deja vu all over again, as we learn from the sons of Eli. Now, we're not told that they were priests like, like Samuel was. But they are judges like Samuel was. And it's not to lessen the severity of what they were doing because they had become corrupt. And as I'm, again, as I'm looking at this, it's like, well, they're not the priests, but they are the judges. They are doing more of the political stuff. So doesn't that just come with the territory that if you get into politics, that you end up taking bribes and you end up just... Uh, having dishonest gain, perverting justice. I mean, these guys, they were supposed to uphold the law, the law of God, and yet these guys could be bought out. You know, if somebody had enough money, they were willing to take it. Now, they weren't doing any kind of sacrifices and any kind of the priestly duties, but they were, they were judges nonetheless. They represented God, they represented the nation of Israel, and they represented their father. 
And there were some similarities between the sons of Samuel and the sons of Levi, or uh, the sons of Eli, because of who their fathers were. They were prominent within the nation of Israel. And so their sons go into or follow after their father's footsteps, in, in a sense. And, and again, looking at this, I'm going, well, do we blame the ministry that these kids didn't want to follow after God, uh, didn't want to do what... What was right in the sight of God? Were, were their fathers neglecting them? I mean, we know that when we were studying through um, uh, Eli and his sons, that, that his sons were just bad men. They were corrupt. They were doing all kinds of things in and around the tabernacle with the people. They, they, they were just wicked they were worthless men, it says. Now, we don't get all that from these guys, except that they were judges and they were taking bribes. They were in it for dishonest gain. They were perverting justice. And so we see some kind of similarities there. But oftentimes people, when they look at a man who is in ministry, who is involved in, in the work of God, and they see their kids going away from what they're supposed to be doing, oftentimes they do blame the minister. They blame the person because, well, maybe you're just neglecting your family. You're out there saving all, your, all the world, but you're not even spending time with your family. And could it be, is it possible, that, that because Samuel was doing this circuit year after year that he didn't spend a lot of time with his kids? We don't know about that. But, but he puts his kids in... in a place where they were to, supposed to do the work of God. Now, I, I, I don't know exactly what went wrong in that family. I mean, when we look at Eli, we think, well, did he do it all wrong? And did, did Samuel also do it all wrong? In that they were giving themselves over to the ministry and to the, the, the things of God. But we see that there is a difference when we see the, the, the sons of Eli and we see the sons of Samuel in that there was a, a judgment that came upon the sons of Eli that we don't hear about with the sons of Samuel. And could it be that their fathers conducted themselves different? That Eli maybe just didn't walk the walk that he was supposed to. He knew about his children, what they were doing. Instead of pulling them out of the ministry, he let them keep going and and he would like sons you shouldn't be doing this but you know didn't want to hurt the family you know so he continued to let them do what they wanted to do and and here we we, we see that that the sons of Samuel they didn't walk in his way and is it possible that Samuel was right on he was doing everything he was supposed to be doing but when the sons came of age they decided we don't want your God we don't want to do what you are doing. We want to do our own thing. And if you're going to put us in the ministry, then we're going to make money at it. I, I, I don't know exactly how it went. And what I'm getting at is that we cannot make our kids walk with God, as I was looking at this, as much as we want them to. Whether you're a good example or a bad example, you can't make your kids walk with God. 
You can't put them in a position maybe like Samuel did that, that made them to be judges and that God hadn't called them to be judges, but maybe that's the way it was supposed to go. And so Samuel says, you're going to be a judge. And guys, I, I, I vacillate over this because I know that as kids, you know, as parents, we're supposed to do all we can to teach them to be that good example to our kids. If they are under your household, then they should be in, in, in fellowship. You should be ministering to them. I understand that, but you cannot make them be Christians as much as you want them to. Because at one point in their life, they will have to make their own decisions. And it's quite possible that the sons of Eli had come to a point saying, we're not going to follow your God. We're not going to follow your footsteps, even though you make us go and do this. And maybe that's why he sent them down to Beersheba. It's like, well, go over there. Take care of that area. It is kind of a sad, a sad commentary when you read something like this that the sons decided not to follow after their father's footsteps in that sense. Not so much in the ministry, but walking after the Lord. In verses 5 and, and 6, or 4 and 5, where it says that the elders gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, look, you are old. And your sons, they don't walk in the ways, in your ways. So make us a God to judge, all, to judge us just like all the other nations. The elders there of Israel, they saw the writing on the wall, basically. It was obvious that there was no one waiting in the wings to take over for Samuel when Samuel dies. And he had been getting up in years. And there was nobody waiting Samuel, in one sense, had not raised anybody up, whether it was his sons or somebody else to help lead Israel. And the elders of all the different tribes, they saw that there was nobody, and Samuel was old. And it's quite possible that, that these elders, it's quite possible that they're, they're looking out for the, the, the nation of Israel thinking, what's going to happen to us when Samuel dies? Because there's nobody to take his place right now. There's nobody that he has raised up. I mean, it, it was no secret that the nation of Israel wanted to be like the other nations. It was no secret that that's what they wanted. That They wanted a king to rule over them. They wanted like a dynasty to start. They wanted a monarchy they wanted to be ruled by a monarchy instead of a, 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 a theocracy. They, they, they wanted somebody to be next in line so they wouldn't have to worry about who would be raised up. And if the, if the elders of Israel knew about the, the sons of Samuel, then more than likely Samuel knew about his sons and what they were doing, and he had done nothing to them to rein them in or to get them out of the ministry. He hadn't raised them up, nor had he raised up anybody else to lead the nation of Israel. So in a sense, they were looking out, these elders were looking out for the future of Israel. And they didn't see a leader on the horizon. And in one sense, Samuel had failed to do his job to raise somebody else up. 
And I think that's very vital, especially in ministry, <laughs> that pastors and leaders should be looking to raise other people up instead of just staying and, 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 and just not letting anybody else be used. Because it's a dangerous place to be. The church gets old and, and, and people just like, it's not growing, nothing's happening. And honestly, man, my, my heart, ever since I took over, was to start looking for my replacement. Why not? It could be said of Zeke, Zeke got old. I am getting old. I mean, I still have enough vigor and enough oomph to, to keep on going, but I don't know if I could do this forever. I don't know if I want to do it, this forever because of the pressures that come with all this ministry stuff. It's like, I don't understand how some pastors do this for 40 years. It's like, you guys are nuts. That's why a lot of them have heart attacks. That's why a lot of them like, go off the deep end. But yet they think, well, I'm going to do this forever. And, and that's understandable if you want to do that. I just kind of look at these things. And if he's in his 60s and, and, and they're saying, hey, you're getting old. And who do you have waiting in the wings here? Because once you start getting into your 60s, it's like, yeah, you can get a little tired. I'm 56 years old, man. I'm not that far away. <laughs> I mean, you might think I'm kidding, but I'm not kidding. It's almost like you can't blame the elders here who were concerned about the future of the nation of Israel. And, and, and if we are not, if I am not concerned about the future of Calvary Chapel of Phelan, then I will run it into the ground and I don't want to do that. That's not my heart. There was a new generation here that we're looking in this portion of Scripture that was coming up going, who's in the wings here? Who's going to lead us? Who's going to guide us? You know, I said this to our leaders a couple months ago at one of our leadership meetings. Because of all the stuff that I see God doing in this place, I see a lot of stuff going on, and I am so stoked. Honestly, guys, I, I could barely contain myself sometimes when I get excited of seeing younger people and getting involved and how God is moving and working in younger people and people, younger people coming. And, and I told our church, I said, guys, I believe because of the vision that God has given us this year to stay the course and not be moved, I believe that whatever we do this year will propel us for at least the next 10 years on my watch. And so my heart... <laughs> is to work myself out of a job. <laughs> I really am. Whether it takes a year, whether it takes five years, whether it takes 10 years. I don't know if I want to be 66 doing this. I don't mind being behind the scenes and, and helping and propping other people up, but I don't want to be like this where the elders come and say, hey, Zeke, you're getting too old. <laughs> you get too old, dude. And I think we need to like, who do you have waiting in the wings? So see, my heart is to make sure there's people coming up in the ranks. People that are younger than I. People that are ready to run for the next 20, 30 years. I've been here for 28 years at this church. And when we were in our late 20s, early 30s, we were helping run this church. And now I'm old. I'm still excited. Don't get me wrong, man. I'm not ready to walk out these doors. But if a young cat 
can, can love you as much as I love you and love the Word of God as much as I love the Word of God and as much as I love teaching it to you, then by all means, why not? Let's do it, right? Let's go for it. Because God wants to propel us because there's young families all around here who are going to take over this place and we need to be ready because I do not want to, to have this situation that, that Samuel did not do his job to have somebody come up in the wings. See, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, the nation of Israel was told that, that when they came into the promised land, they would want to set up a king over them. But God said that he would choose a king for them. But the way these guys had come to Samuel asking for, the, for a king was not the way God wanted to give them a king. God would eventually give them a king that he wanted. But for right now, he would give them what they wanted. You see, because nothing was set up, set up for them to move this thing forward. And here's one of those moments that I don't understand why God allows things to happen the way he does. Because it's clearly not the way he wants it done. But they're asking for a king. And they've come to Samuel and say, hey, you make us a king. Get us somebody that will rule and reign because you're old and we're ready for change. Now, I don't understand why God would allow it and, and, and let it happen, but I do understand, I totally understand, that there are times that God will allow man to have his way to teach them the lesson that they need to learn. This is where you can get into the whole thing of God's perfect will and then God's permissive will. He allows things to happen. And I'm not here to, to, to figure that whole thing out because I don't understand sometimes why he allows things and why he doesn't. Is there a permissive will or is, does God always have his perfect will? I, I don't know. That's, that's beyond me. But I do know that God sometimes gives us what we ask for because we want it and we want it now. And I don't care what you do, God, but I want it done now. And sometimes he allows that to happen. And even though the elders were concerned about the future, it was the way they were asking that I think was wrong. Make us a king now. We want it and we want it now. In verses 6 through 9, he says, But the thing displeased Samuel. When they saw, when they when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people, all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should reign over them according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day with which they have forsaken me and served other gods. So they are doing to you also. Now, therefore, heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly warn, forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. <laughs> this, how they came to him, displeased 
Samuel. Samuel was grieved with the fact that they wanted a king and they wanted it now. They would much rather be ruled by a king than by God himself. And in one sense, it seems that he takes this personal. Now, could it be that it's the way they, they, they asked him for a king that, you, that they were telling him instead of asking him, hey, seek the Lord for us so that we can get this thing rolling, so that we can get this thing going and, and get our king here that we've, we want. No, it, it, it just didn't seem that way. It seemed like they came and they were forcing the issue. And they didn't ask him to go pray about this, but Samuel prays anyways. And I'm sure that as he opened, he, he, he talked to God, he was as open as he could with God to tell him, hey, the elders here, they're, they're asking for a king. And I wouldn't doubt that Samuel thought, man, God's going to let them have it right now for, for the way they're asking. But instead, the Lord says to Samuel, hey, you heed the people. Everything that they've said to you, you, you do it for them. <laughs> and I'm sure it just threw him for a loop going, what the heck, God? Are you serious? They're, they're wanting somebody else to rule instead of you. And I don't think that's what he expected to hear from God. But what I see here is that as the Lord told Samuel to, to take heed, Samuel, again, I think he took, took it very personal. In the fact that they were rejecting God, he, he felt like, man, they're rejecting me as well. And I love the fact that the Lord comforts Samuel in telling him, don't take it personal. It's not you that they're coming against. But this is where most of us that represent God sometimes can't help but take it personal. When somebody, when you're sharing with somebody, when you're pouring into somebody, when you're sharing the gospel and the love of Christ with them, and you just want them to know Christ, and they just reject it. You feel rejected. You feel like, man, what did I do wrong? Did I do something? Did I say something? And, and, and all of a sudden, you're, you're, you're pointing at yourself, and God's going, hey, don't take it personal. It's like, what do you mean don't take it personal? I'm crying over this. My heart hurts over this. How is it that I can't take a personal God? They're, they're, they're refusing you. And, and because of that, I feel like they're refusing me. Because oftentimes we do pour out in the name of God. We do give the gospel and people end up rejecting it. And we feel personally responsible for it. And oftentimes God says, don't take it personal. It's not you that they're coming against. You know, Jesus said, when they hate you, it's not you that they hate. They hate me who is in you. It's like, but yeah, but still, Lord, how is it that I can't take this personal? <laughs> because it's not really us that they're rejecting. They are rejecting God. And I know what the Word of God says here. I really do. And I could tell you all day long, hey, guys, if somebody rejects you and the gospel that you're presenting, don't take it personal. I could tell you that all stinking day long. But this is probably one of the hardest things that I battle with and deal with myself. When something happens, <laughs> and I'm sure that there's pastors out there that, that have no problem like just shaking it off like, no problemo. I'm not one of those. I take everything personal. 
And I don't, I, you know, probably because I pour into so much that I feel like, man, yes, Lordy, man, I just want to be there. And then they just like walk away and it's like, Lord, what did I do? I tried my hardest to. <laughs> and it's not easy for me. And I know it's not easy for many of you because you're, you're being counseled. Hey, don't take it personal. You're going, oh, no, I cry over this all the time. I, I get so depressed. I get so down on myself. I get all these things. And it's like, well, I, I understand that. And I'm, I'm sure like Samuel, he felt defeated. He felt saddened. He felt brokenhearted. And, and I think we should at times. But at the end of the day... <laughs> It's they're coming against God, not, not us. And I'm sure it wasn't easy for Samuel just to brush it off. To reject God was to reject him. That's my God. That's the one I serve. And it is. It, it's pretty difficult when things go wrong in the church or or people walk away, or there's a church split, or, or people are leaving, and, and you're going, but Lord, I th- <laughs> it's hard not to take it personal. But God wasn't surprised, because he says, according to all their works, what they have been doing ever since I took them out of Egypt, man, they've been doing this this whole time. They've been rejecting me. So it's not a big surprise. And it's almost like at the end of verse, um, verse 8 where he says, so they are doing to you also. And it's almost like, well, this is the way it feels like. <laughs> when you're in ministry, when you're pouring yourself out, um, don't take it personal. It's against me, God says. But you understand what I feel like. <laughs> and then he says, therefore, heed their voice, however, And you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will rule over them. And I look at this and I think, still, in God's graciousness, yes, the God who has just been rejected by his people, he tells Samuel, hey, paint them a picture of what this is going to look like. Those who are going to rule over them, show them what it looks like. In verse 10 to 18, it says, So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, This will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his own chariots and to his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties. He will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and some to make his weapons of war and equip equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. And he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain, of your vintage, and give it to the officers and servants. And he will take your male servants and your female servants, your finest young men and your donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep 
and you will be his servants. And you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourself and the Lord will not hear. He will not hear you in that day. Wow. Going from a theocracy to a monarchy was not going to be a give and take relationship. It was going to look more like a take and a take and take relationship. God had given his people everything that they had ever, ever needed. And now there would be more of giving or more taking than giving. And even though they thought that they would get so much from this monarchy, the reality was that government can't give unless it takes first. <laughs> Most governments like this, they don't produce anything. They have to take people's money and people's things in order to give it back to people, to other people. And once they take, they have to continue to take to keep a government going. And then to maintain a certain level of lifestyle, especially if you're getting into a monarchy, because kings, they just don't sit in regular chairs. They have to have a throne. And they can't just live in a regular house. They have to have a castle or something. And they can't just have just mediocre chariots. They have to have like stretched, you know, arrow uh, bullet or proof, arrow proof chariots or something like that. They have to have the best of the best. And then they have to have all these people that guard them and take care of them and guard the people because that's what they wanted. They wanted somebody to take care of them. But before they take care of the people, they take care of themselves oftentimes. And so all of a sudden he says, hey, paint them a picture and tell them it's all going to be about taking. They're going to take your sons and your daughters. They're going to take the best of what you have for themselves because they need that. They're going to need all these things. And you're going to become their servants. And it's interesting because in serving God... It's all about offering yourself to God and giving of yourself to God. But God never takes unless it's being offered to Him. Not like a government. They will take everything you, you, you own if they can. Because that's just what they have to do to maintain. But God never takes unless you offer it to Him. He doesn't take anything from you. They would become servants of the king and they would end up crying out and God was going to let it play out and let them reap the consequences for wanting to be ruled by a king that God had not chosen. And so in verse 19, he says, Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, No, but we will have a king over us that we may that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice and make them a king. 
And Samuel said to the men of Israel, Every man go to his own city. You would think after he paints this picture of what it's going to look like that the people are going, oh my gosh, what are we doing? We are so sorry, God, because you haven't treated us, treated us this way. You have been very kind and very good to us. And you're showing us a picture of what it's going to look like. You would think that they would have just stopped and said, you know what, cancel that order. But they go, oh no, that's what we want. We're cool with that. We'll, we'll take everything that you just painted. We'll take it and, and even more. No problem. Because what, what we want is, is somebody to judge us and, and go before us or go out for us and fight for us. And it's almost like Samuel should, should have said, oh, like God has always done for you. The God of Israel who has always gone before you, who has always fought your battles. But you see, it was, it was better for them. It was, well, I guess it was hard for them to, to trust an invisible God that had always taken care of them and they wanted some kind of a man that they can look to, that they can point to, that they can touch. A frail man who was just like them. It was too hard for them to trust the God of Israel, the one that had seen them through everything. So in spite of all that God had done for the nation of Israel, from Abraham all the way until this point, they decided that they still wanted a man to rule over them. And God would still (laughs) have his hand upon them through this whole monarchy. God would still have his hand upon them. And, And, you know, they wanted to be like every other nation. But you see, the nation of Israel has never been like any other nation. God's hand is still upon Israel to this day. Oh, he lets them deal with the consequences so many times. And when they cry out, he ends up saving them. But yet here he says, man, you're going to cry out and I'm not going to hear you. And it's interesting because we're going to be introduced to Saul and then to David. And their monarchy wasn't as bad as when we get to Solomon. And Solomon really begins to put a heavy hand on the people. Oh, he was a good king and people loved him. But man, he put the people to work because he had so much to build. And that's when they began to cry out a little bit more. But they're going to get theirs. They're going to get what, what God is going to allow them to have. And, and here's the interesting thing. You know, as people, oftentimes we go to God and it's like, we ask for his will, and we don't like his will. And it's like, well, I want it my way then, God. And it's interesting because oftentimes we, we get what we pray for. <laughs> and God's going, man, I had so much better for you, but I'll give you what you want. And we need to be careful, guys. Because we can be just like the children of Israel, like the elders here. We want it, and we want it now. Instead of waiting for the best, we want the immediate. We want what satisfies. We, we, we want what, think, what we think looks good now. And God's going, you don't understand. And here's a picture in this chapter where, where the, the, the elders of Israel, they come and they say, we want the king that we want. And God's going to give them the king that they want. And Saul, as we'll be introduced to him uh, next week, he's, he's going to have everything going for him. 
and yet he's not the one that God really wanted. But he'll give them what, what they wanted. And so we need to be careful how we pray, what we desire, because God might just give it to us. <laughs> and that's a scary thing sometimes. And so we need to be patient. We need to be waiting on the Lord and what he wants. And so let's, let's close in prayer as we uh, do one more song. Father in heaven, as we uh, look to you, Lord, as we look at this chapter and we see the heart of Samuel, Lord, and how his heart was broken because the people, Lord God, that didn't quite understand your goodness and your grace, they wanted a man to rule over them. Someone that they felt, Lord, that would protect them, and yet they had the God of Israel on their side, and they were rejecting him. And I pray for our people here, Lord God. I pray that, that Lord, we would not go before you, but that we would wait on you, Lord. That, Lord, even though, Lord God, we want to look to the future and what you have for this church, Lord God, we want to be satisfied in what you have for us right now, Lord. But Lord, that we would not be negligent to look to you and say, Lord, where do you want and what do you want for us, Lord God, in the future? We want to be there, Lord. We want to be used of you. And so, Lord, I pray for our church here. That, God, we would always, Lord God, be seeking your face, be asking for direction, Lord God. I pray that, God, you would just help us, Lord God, to hear from you, that we would never try to manufacture anything, Lord God, but that we would allow your spirit to, to lead us and guide us, Lord. And so we do thank you and praise you, Lord God, for your word. We thank you, Lord God, that even when, when we desire things that are not good for us, sometimes you allow it, Lord to teach us the lessons that we need to learn. And so, Lord, go before us, I ask right now. Be glorified, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Let's stand.